Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. I was preaching in Alhambra last Sunday, and, and um, it, it's an older congregation, but God worked a miracle right in the middle of my message. Three people were healed of insomnia. <laughs> so I noticed some of you probably got finished with my message before I even got started, but we're here to talk about missions, and it's not about me, but I want to make a couple of comments in, this morning. I don't think I have been as welcomed in any church as I was this morning here. Coming onto the parking lot, shaking hands with Jonathan as he's drying out a carpet that he got all wet last night because he forgot it out there. But how clean and neat everything is, this is fabulous. I, I feel like I'm back on the mission field and I'm standing on all of these wonderful statements and sayings. I know you're all going to be able to write your name and a verse and everything on here so that you're standing on holy ground up here. But that worship team was awesome. But I go back a long way with some of the family here. I remember your pastor's wife when she was a part of the Gomez Trio. And then Tom came along, and it was just Johnny and Elaine. <laughs> and now there's grandkids everywhere, and it's just fabulous. And they're great grandkids. And to see the connections in ministry all through the Northwest, you talk about having a pastor. You talk about Top Gun. Well, we've got a young gun who is a pastor of this church who's got vision, hope, and a future for this entire area. And I, 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 if I lived in this area, and I have to live in the slums of San Diego, but if I lived in this area, I'd tell you what, this is where I go to church. Warm, accepting. I met a SEAL, a Navy SEAL. He shook my hand, and I think it's still shaking. I met so many of you, and I like your little name tags and home, that sense of being home. I tell you what, I've been here in years past, but this is a new spirit. This is a fresh wind that blows. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and he rode upon the wings of the wind. This is a dynamic place, and I'm excited about it. And all the school kids that come onto this sacred property that get to know and realize there's a place of hope and life for their futures here. You see, church, what you're doing today is it's like that line from Hamilton. Remember Hamilton? That was, uh, he was a guy in the old days that wrote something, and then they wrote a play about him. But in the play, there's a line that goes like this. We're planting seeds in a garden that we may never see. And we're planting seeds. Somebody planted seeds a long time ago that we don't know or never saw. But this is the garden, and it is blooming, and it is bearing fruit. So I'm just blessed to be here with your pastor and his lovely wife and family and all of you and the staff and the worship team and flying Delta now. I'm on American all the time, but now I'm going to fly Delta because they have worship leaders that stand... That, that, But I'm very blessed to be here, and I'll tell you one reason. A few weeks ago, I was one phone call away from being dead. 
and I owe my life to some people. And while I was laying in the hospital, a friend of mine who owns San Diego Copy, he's a businessman, but he's a man of God, he's a men's leader, developed all kinds of materials for leading men, not in discipleship, but in apprenticeship to Jesus. He changes the word. He's teaching me about being an apprentice of Jesus. And uh, he's taken it upon himself. His name's Jeff McKinley. He's sitting back there. So if the thing goes haywire up here, not me, him. <laughs> Anyways, but, but Jeff uh, drove me up here, and I'm always indebted to men like that who say, we will help you, we will serve you. Your pastor said, Wayne, there's no rail on the steps here. I says, well, if I fall down, I'll just say the Holy Spirit hit me on the way up. <laughs> but everybody cares. Isn't that fabulous? In this world, where it seems like nobody cares about anything, to come to a church where they care. Well, listen, it's not about me this morning. It's about this. Faith promise card. Y'all got one of those? Here's what I want you to do. Right off the top, I want you to write your name on it. Right away. That's all. Nothing else. God's going to talk to you. Because this is about something that you don't have. It's going to scare the daylights out of you when God starts dealing with you about filling out this card. Your name is valuable to God and in relationship to a wounded and broken world. It's extremely important. Your name has great worth and it has great value. And your name is associated with the name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and that's the connection. But hear me, your name is important on this card because you can't go to the bank and write the amount down and go cash it because it's according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you maybe a, a few things, but before I get there, I want to read a prayer to you. Can I do that? Can I get a little liturgical with you? Yes, I'm a part of a fellowship, and, you know, we have our whatever, and we're kind of freewheeling. But every now and then, being a Canadian, I get a little liturgical, you know, for the queen. All right. But let me read this prayer to you, and then I want you to guess who prayed this prayer, Okay. Jesus, who is Jesus to me? The word made flesh, the bread of life, the victim offered for our sin on the cross, the sacrifice offered for the sins of the world and mine, the leper to wash his wounds. He's the beggar to give him a smile, the drunkard to listen to him, the mentally challenged to protect him, the little one to embrace him, the blind to lead him, the dumb to speak for him, the crippled to walk with him, the drug addict to befriend him, the prostitute to remove from danger and befriend her, the prisoner to be visited, the old to be served. To me, Jesus is my God, my spouse, my life, my only love, my all in all, my everything, amen. Who do you think prayed that prayer? Mother Teresa. What a prayer that when she went into the wounded slum, and I worked with mother for 35 years. Very good friend. It's only four feet 11. When she gave me a hug, she always got her nose caught in my belly button. She was a sweetheart. But her perception 
after 12 years of being a school teacher and handed a little baby that was in great distress the beginning of a compassionate outreach and a sensitivity. And I heard your pastor in early prayer this morning ask for all of you that God would give you a sense of being missional, of what our life and value and purpose really is in reaching a wounded, hurting world. You see, behind every face in the house this morning, there's a human interest story that would blow you away if you knew what it was. We all have those areas of wounds and hurts that need healing. But when mother looked at the masses and the crowds, they became Jesus, serving him, serving the lost, reaching out to them. Matthew 25, verses 40 to 45, you can read in your scripture, it says, as you have done these things unto one of the least of them, so have you done it unto me. So remember something. When you get involved in missions through this church and through this body and fellowship, I want you to know that you are not some small, insignificant little speck on the map. You are a part of 69,189,381 believers around the world. You are a part of being in 256 countries, 370,000 churches, 397,000 ministers, working in 345 countries with unreached people groups, there's a new convert, a new believer every 41 seconds. Every 137 minutes, a new church is planted. Every 100 minutes, there's a new minister enlisted. There are over 3,137 missionaries, but the problem is there's over a billion that are unrepresented by what we are and who we are. So you can see that you network with a body of ministry that is so dynamic and so significant. What we want to deal with a little bit this morning is this thing called compassion. And the Latin word for compassion is compati, which means to suffer with. In other words, I will take upon myself the pain and the struggle of a world around me if I am truly going to be compassionate, and that's what Mother Teresa was communicating, that she would take upon herself as a representative of Christ the need and the pain and the outcast and the downtrodden and the discouraged and the sick and the infirmed and the lame. Take that upon herself. And we're going to deal with her a little bit later. But the scripture says, and actually what I'd like to leave you with is a, a couple of sayings that are not original to me. But I picked them up from a guy named Mark Batterson who pastors out in Washington, D.C., a tremendous guy. But one of the things he uses is, your sacrifice is somebody else's miracle. Your sacrifice today, you put down your name, but just wait. Because the good stuff of faith is coming along. Because we're going to fill out the rest of that card. And it's going to be translated into souls and into healing, into flesh and blood and reaching out to the lost. Your sacrifice today 
is somebody else's miracle. I want to show you a little video of my city of Calcutta, and that might uh, help us a little bit to kind of understand where I'm coming from in a city that is, was hopeless, but now the reality of because of faith promise, because of your commitment, your investment in our city, in our hospital, in our school, all of those things, where we feed 25,000 the only meal they get in a day because of you. I have 38,000 in my school that hear the gospel of Christ twice every day. 1,200 paid staff members on the church staff and on and on in a school of nursing and a college of nursing. And we have clinics down in Sanagachi, 10,000 prostitutes, child trafficking and all of those things that are going on. But I'll tell you something, God is in control. And I want you to know something. It's because of you and your investment over the years out of this church the seeds you have planted are bearing a harvest in a garden that you may never see, but it was your obedience and it was your sacrifice that became somebody else's miracle. So let's take a quick look at that video. Does it work? I love this screen. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> Calcutta, India, a city of 15 million people and 17 square miles. The people who live here used to have no hope. No hope for simple health care. No hope for education. No hope for disabled children. No hope for the hungry. No hope for the hurting. No hope for Calcutta. Jesus changes everything. In 1954, two missionaries came to Calcutta with one purpose, to reach Calcutta with Christ. Out of that desire, they started a feeding program that today feeds 25,000 people every day. Then those same kids that were hungry needed to be educated, and a school was started, which today has branched into numerous schools throughout India that have educated more than 20,000 students. And the mission was not just to educate the impoverished children, but also the disabled. Our blind school is home to more than 100 blind children and educates them through Braille, English, and vocational training later on. It wasn't long after the first school started that they realized the children and their families needed quality health care. Health care which they could not afford. So in 1977, Calcutta Mercy Hospital was built, which provides free medical care to 40,000 people a year at the hospital and their 18 rural clinics. But it couldn't just stop there. Communities began to change through Adopt-A-Village programs, where churches across America said, yes, we want to support a village and be responsible for changing destinies. Destinies in India that were predetermined through suspicion and religious beliefs began to change as little girls grew and had the option of being trained as nurses through Buntane Nursing School and were then hired at our hospital. And as people received the compassionate care of Christ through Calcutta Mercy Ministries, many were called into full-time ministry. They were trained at our Bible college where hundreds of ministers have been equipped 
and in turn planted over 950 churches throughout India. In 1954, two missionaries came to Calcutta with one purpose, to reach Calcutta with Christ. What will we do? You'd look at that city and think it's an impossibility. You'd look at your own life and say, how do I get involved in missions? How could God possibly use me? The next time you feel that God can't use you, remember this. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses was a, had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was, well, you know. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. So the next time you think that you cannot serve God, take another thought. God has you here on this significant morning for a purpose, to come into an understanding of what his compassionate heart is. Another thing that Batterson said was this, do not let what you cannot do stop you from doing what you can do. It would be too easy this morning to sit and look at that card with your name on it and rationalize why you cannot get involved and why you can't do it. Do not let the thought of what you cannot do stop you from doing what the Spirit of God is saying for you to do in an unusual and unexpected way. We need a miracle in missions this morning. We definitely do. We need to be able to reach out to a holy God and ask him to help us. Faith promise is a extremely important concept in the life of the believer. It is not as I can do it. It is as God enables me over and above his provision. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is the means to overcome it. We think of Zacchaeus. There was a tree that had already been prevented that provided for him the ability to see Jesus when he needed to see him. That tree had been planted. There was a preparation and a supply to enable Zacchaeus to get to a place to see Jesus. That's exactly what we are doing. Corey Ten Boom said this. She said, in my life, I've held a lot of valuable things in my hands, and I lost them all. But what I placed in God's hands, I still have. And that's what happens this morning. When we get involved in faith promises, putting into God's hands what he needs from us to accomplish greater purposes for his glory. We sang that beautiful song. I'm standing over here, blessed out of my gourd. I'm glad that I am free enough now to be able to raise a hand to God as pastor instructed me this morning. When he said that to me, I went, hey, I'm white with you, pastor. That's why we lift our hands to release it all to him. Back to Mother Teresa. 
Now, she signed my Bible and New Testament stuff, and so I've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Saint Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John, St. Teresa. I got them all in my Bible. But here's an interesting little story about her. She was a lot of notoriety. I mean, Princess Diana came to Calcutta to see her. Ronald Reagan came and saw her. I mean, Nobel Peace Prize, all of this stuff. So the newspaper wants to get a story on how she's operating with all this notoriety. She's got a new order of nuns, the missionary charity. She's got all this going. And she tells a story about this one newspaper reporter, and she did not like the media. She did not. She didn't want to talk to anybody about it. This one guy kept flying into Calcutta, bugging her and bothering her. And she's down in the busty in the slums, and she's ministering. And this guy approaches her, and she finally stops him and says, Sir, I want you to know something. I am only a pencil in God's hands, and he is writing the story. Do you understand now why I asked you to write your name on that faith promise card? We are only a pencil in God's hands, and he is about to write a story on the rest of that card today. A story that will be written, read here on earth, as you are an epistle being read of many. A living epistle. But a story that is going to be written down in the annals of eternity that we get there and the pages are unfolded on that Sunday morning with that opportunity to be compassionate in outreach to the lost and to a dying and struggling world. Well, let me explain it this way. One time we got a faith promise card and on it, it was the name of a little boy. And um, he had written down his name, and he wrote a sizable amount of money on there. He wrote down 25 cents a month. But underneath he wrote, and my daddy's going to pay it. <laughs> he had figured out what faith promise was. Not according to his riches, but according to a dad who he knew and a father who he knew, who was greater in riches than he was, but that if he did his chores and took out the trash and brought in the newspaper when they still had them, or if he took out the dog for a walk or whatever his chores were, he knew he would get an allowance, and out of that, that would go into the missions offering. You see, it's not according to our riches but according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How big do you want God to be in on through our lives in the miraculous and the supernatural over this next 12 months right here in this marvelous church? As God starts to unfold and unpack things for us from unusual and unexpected sources. I was on a concert tour. We were in Bristol, Tennessee. No, I wasn't singing. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> they always had me sing on a hill far away. But it was, it was a great concert. And into that concert came a little boy, three years of age. Single parent. Boy, I like what you're doing with single parents in this church. That's a beautiful, beautiful gesture. And this little guy came in, poor family, Bristol, Tennessee, it was his birthday, his third birthday, and for his birthday, he got a ticket to the concert, he got a birthday card, and he got three $1 bills. 
That's all you got. And he's stand, and I'm standing up there making the presentation that we're raising money for the feeding program in Calcutta that you could feed a child for 10 cents a day and on and on the story goes. And the little guy's sitting there and he pulled out one of his dollar bills and he said to mom, how many will this feed? And she says, oh, that'll feed 10 kids. And he thought for a minute and pulled out the other two and he had all three $1 bills. That's all he got. And he said, well, here, mama, feed them all. His whole idea was if I give it all, it'll take care of the need. So, we told that story to the artist. He wrote a song. What if I give all? That went on tour. Through the concert series, we raised over $500,000 for the feeding program, five million bucks. I mean, five million meals for Calcutta from one little three-year-old boy whose sacrifice became Somebody else's miracle, he planted seeds in the garden he'd never seen. And he didn't let what he couldn't do stop him from doing what he could do. So that comes in. Now, the question is, how do you feed and cook for 25,000? It's like Feliz Navidad in a Mexican house. I mean, it's amazing. I'll tell you how it's done. Modesto, California, just like this morning, a 15-year-old boy is sitting there, and he put his name on a faith promise card. His name was Stephen. Stephen filled it out, put a sizable amount on it, and the way they collected it came across the aisle like this. His dad saw it and took it off and said, Stephen, you can't pay that. He said, Dad, leave it on. You see, Stephen was an epileptic and had grand mal seizures, didn't have any friends, very ill, but he had faith. He believed God to do something unusual and something of the extra and the supernatural in his life. So Stephen filled out the card. It came in. It was registered. It went into the programming of the church to be able to estimate a missions budget to disperse amongst the missionaries. Stephen came in at the end of the year, just before the end of the year, and he had his last little payment in a handkerchief, brought it in and put it on the pastor's desk and said, Pastor, I did what God wanted me to do this year with my life. He'd gone out and got some odd jobs. How he got it, we don't know, but he got it. And he brought it in and he put it down on the pastor's desk and said, Pastor, I did what God wanted me to do with my life this year. He went home that night and passed away in his sleep. They asked if I'd speak at the funeral. Thousands of dollars came in in a memorial fund that they gave to us to take back to Calcutta where we built the kitchens that run 24 hours a day that feed 25,000 kids the only meal they're going to get that day because there was one 15-year-old California kid who believed Jesus when he said, I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I don't know how it works, but your name and that card is so extremely valuable. It is so important. I don't know what kind of miracles God's wanting to do with you, but according to his riches, as God enables me, 
And I'm not going to rationalize the why I can't. I'm just going to say, okay, God, let my obedience to what your spirit speaking to my heart to do and to trust you. You see, it goes beyond faith. It goes into the realm of trust. Do you really trust God that he is able to do what he is telling us to do today? Do we really trust him? With all of our life, our resource, our visions, our hopes, and our dreams, God's able to do amazingly, abundantly, above anything we can do. We're planting seeds in a garden that we may never see, I'll tell you. My friend, oh, where's that clock? Oh, they put up a calendar for missionaries. Um, I'll tell you a quick little story. My friend in Oklahoma City, his wife needed a pacemaker. Surgery's over, the surgeon comes out, takes down his mask, tells him, hey, your wife's gonna recover really good, positive surgery. My friend's looking at him, he says, where are you from? And he says, I'm from Oklahoma City. He says, no, 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 what's your ethnicity? Where, where, where's your family? He says, well, I'm from India. He says, you're from India? Oh. He says, um, what part of India? He says, I, you probably wouldn't know. And uh, my friend said, well, I, I go to India. He said, oh, really? He says, where do you go? He says, I go to Calcutta. I go see my friend Wayne over there. I go over to the Mercy Hospital. He says, oh, you do? He says, do you know something that reminds me? Let me tell you a quick little story. He said, there were these five boys in Calcutta who lived out in the slums in a, in a big culvert. And the eldest would come in on the train when it's free in the wee hours of the morning, get food at the feeding program, take it back to the, the brothers, his brothers, and feed them, care for them. They had no mom or dad. And so he said, one day at the feeding program, someone came to him and said, we would like to care for you. We'd like to provide food, clothing, education, health care. We'd like to provide all of that for you. We'd like to sponsor you. Would you be willing to get in the program? He said, let me go back and talk to the, to the brothers. And he's telling this story. And the brothers agreed that one of the others would take on the task and that that young man would come into the program. He said, that young man went into the program and he went through the school. He graduated, went to Velour, to South India, to the Baptist Teaching Hospital, became a medical doctor, went to London, England, and became a thoracic surgeon. And today, that boy put the pacemaker in your wife's heart. Missions is not some dark abyss where you're just pouring money. It's planting seeds in human lives in Fiji in an orphanage. Awesome! You never know what that garden is going to produce in those island nations and maybe literally around the world. There's more to Fiji than a great rugby team. They're lives, they're struggling, they're desperate, they're hurting. Your pastor's over there preaching them, holding them, hugging them, pouring his heart out to them. And that's what we do in missions. Abraham Lincoln, one of the great presidents had just finished, you know, the Civil War, brought us together, one of the greatest presidents of all time, done the greatest things ever, went to a little tiny church to worship. 
He was in a little room on the side, enjoyed the preaching, enjoyed the music, and on the, when they were leaving, one of the entourage that he was with said to him, Mr. President, what did you think of that service? He says, oh, it was awesome. It was wonderful. He says, oh, but I got one thing against them. They didn't ask me to do anything great for God. I pray that you will never walk out of those doors of this grand church and not know that there is a great task that you've been asked to deliver to this community and to this world, that this church is asking you, our God is asking us today to do something great. Wasn't it Napoleon? He had fought so hard for an island, lost all kinds of soldiers, the greatest per capita lost for a victory, and they're having a celebration and he's sitting at the dais with all of his generals, tacticians of war, and some young buck private gets up out of the banquet, walks up to the table and said, Napoleon, I want you to give me this island. And Napoleon looks at that young buck private, says, bring me a parchment, bring me a quill, bring me an inkwell. And he penned a deed of trust for the island and handed it to that young man. And the generals are looking at him going, you're nuts. What are you thinking, Napoleon? Do you know the sacrifice to get this place? What were you thinking? He said, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I gave him this island because he honored me with the magnitude of his request. And my Bible teaches me that we are to ask our God for the heathen, for our inheritance, would you give us the lost? Will you give us Fiji? Will you give us the islands of the sea? Will you give us India? Will you give us Africa? Will you give us Europe? Will you give us America? We want the lost to be ours, and we will honor him this morning with the magnitude of our request, and he will give them to us for his honor and for his glory. Calvin Miller, and I'm going to conclude with 42 more points. <laughs> you know why preachers use notes. It takes a little paper to get the fire going. <laughs> but there is a great Baptist preacher, and I'm mindful, where's that clock? Oh my God, where they took it down, they trashed. Oh, there it is, I got three minutes. Look at those miracles are happening everywhere of insomnia, but <laughs> Calvin Miller did a book called The Philippian Fragment, named some people. He named them um, um, Helen of Veropolis, and there was Pastor Eusebius. Pastor Eusebius walking down the road one day, met Helen of Veropolis, said, Helen, what are you doing out here? How come you're not at church at the Ladies' Council of the Second Coming. She says, well, I'm just going down to the leper colony to bind up the lesions of the wounded, of, of the lepers. So he's going further down the road, and somebody says, hey, have you seen Helen, Pastor? He says, yeah. Well, what's she up to? Well, she's just going down to bind up the lesions of the lepers. And here's what he said about Helen. She just mixes with humanity to take divinity as far as it will go. That's what we are doing, mixing with humanity to take divinity as far as it will go. Luke chapter 
7, verse 11 to 13 is um, my favorite passage of Scripture. It's the widow at Nain. Jesus approached a city where he sensed that there was death. He went to the gate of the city and he saw the funeral procession of a woman who was burying her tomorrows. A widow with a 14-year-old son who is now dead. She's crying. He stops her and he says, stop your crying. And he had the power to control the circumstances causing her weeping and touches the boy and gives him back to her. And I put it all in a nutshell this way. Jesus raised that boy and gave him back to her. What that says to me is God has the power to give us back our tomorrows. When we think we've mortgaged our virtue, we've mortgaged our future, there's no sense in carrying on in this world. It looks so bleak out there. I want you to know that today you become tomorrow for somebody somewhere. I've picked him off the garbage dump. I'll never forget picking my little Ali off the garbage dump in Calcutta, three years old, less than 10 pounds. Head fell back over my arms as eyelids rolled back. There was still some life, how God brought him around. Compassion taking upon myself the need and the pain of others. You see, we're not here talking about, I don't want your money. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want your passion. I want your compassion. You know, there's some things in life that are good that you're going to have to say no to so you can say yes to the best. So you can say yes to the best. Some things you're going to have to deny yourself. A sacrifice. Your sacrifice. Your obedience becomes somebody else's miracle. Don't let Satan come and rob you. Now I want you to take your card. Pastor's going to come and receive them. But you remember Luke 7-11, the best 7-11 you'll ever drive into. Today, you can become somebody's tomorrow filled with hope, filled with life. I want you to take your card now and you're a pencil in God's hand. And I want you to now start to prayerfully with maybe even a trembling pen. Say, God, I don't know where all this is going to come from. But I want you to use me. It's not one person doing it all. It's everybody doing what you can. 25 cents a month wound up feeding 25,000 kids a day. I don't understand. That's up to God. But over these next 12 months, Jesus commissioned them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But before he did, he took them to Galilee, the place of miracles, after the resurrection. They fished all night. He did the miracle. They got the fish. But he said, I was here before you were and I started a fish fry. 
I already had provision for you. Do you realize 12 months from now, you're going to be sitting with Jesus at a fish fry? A provision that you did not expect or know where it came from, but as you were faithful to him in obedience, he provided to meet the needs of hundreds of missionaries that you're a part of. Countries that you'll never go to. Gardens you will never see. But the seed today is being planted in a miraculous way. If God doesn't bring it in, you don't have to give it. No one's going to write you a letter and beat you or phone call you or anything. No, this is a moment that is holy. It is sacred. It's between you and God. I want you to take that card, fill it out to the glory of God. And I'm not going to let you off the hook because I think this morning is a time of commitment for some of us. Next Sunday will be another opportunity. So if you didn't get it right this morning, God's going to whack you over the head. And, and, and like Paul said, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Good grief. Okay, now I'm going to add on to it for next Sunday. But seriously, pastor's coming. He loves you. He loves this congregation. This is a special moment. Fill it out. and He's going to receive it. Let me pray with you as your pastor comes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful audience and congregation and worshipers, seekers. There's seekers and there's followers. Oh, and then there are fishers of men. What a beautiful body of believers together this morning. So warm. This is home. This is home. Can, it, can we just look beyond the comfort of this moment this morning in this beautiful church? Can we look to the alienated and the lost who don't have a home. They don't have a church. They don't have a pastor and his wife who care for us, nurture us, teach us, preach to us, share with us, edify us, build us up. They don't have that. But today we can provide a home for those who don't have a home to worship you in. So God, would you take our faith promises and would you bless them anoint them, sustain, provide over the next 12 months to accomplish something that is so great we cannot even imagine the miracles in your name. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.